Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Prep Kitchen Podcast, the podcast where Matt and I talk all things food, cookery and hospitality. Please don't forget to like, rate and subscribe to never miss an episode. Oh! <laughs> oh! Well, I didn't know that was coming. No, I know. I didn't know that was coming. Um, would you like to explain what you just done, Paul, for those um, those that are listening and won't be viewing on YouTube? I was gifted a uh, clapperboard the other day. So, this there is it is. podcast. Bang, bang. Universal. No, I didn't know that was a, that was a nice yeah, surprise. Look, it's got it at the top. Prep Kitchen Podcast. Universal yeah. Studios, for example. I don't know what that um, was about. No. Maybe one day. That was a nice little touch. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. I didn't see that one coming. You're full of surprises, Chief. That's me. Never, never cease to amaze me. How you been? Had a good week? Uh, yeah, very good. Thanks, you. Yeah, not too bad at all, mate. Been busy, busy, busy. Um, feels a bit strange, this one, doesn't it? Not having a guest with us. I know, we're flying solo again. We're just back to, we're back to the original, just you and I, but we've had a good couple of weeks, some great guests on, haven't we? We had Artie Stan very Pizza. Very interesting people. Artie Stan Pizza telling us how to make pizzas properly and telling you not to shove your arms in an oven. That's right. And then we had Katie Knight coming on and dispelling... All the tricks of the trade of how to make delicious brownies, which we've since sampled ourselves, and they are we did hashtag very, gifted, hashtag gifted, very, very, very good brownies too. And now it's back to just uh, us, a couple of losers. Yeah, well, we've got a very big interview this week coming up. So we have, we have indeed. Um, obviously, if you check on the uh, Instagram page, all is revealed on there. But we're both very much excited. Um, we can tell you now. Oh, go on, you go for it. We've got Asma Khan coming on from the Darjeeling Express in London. The very, very same. Very same one. Netflix uh, chef table. She's the first and only British chef to be uh, uh, on there, featured on there. So that's very exciting. Yeah. And if anyone is going to be listening to this and sort of in order and they want to check out Asma Khan before we sit down with her... um, Definitely watch that Netflix episode because not just for the very fact, good. not 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 just from the perspective of you know her restaurant and the food she puts out, but her general story is it's pretty remarkable. You know, I watched it again last night just to sort of you know brush up on all the info, and um, I don't know, it's it's got the makings of like a biopic film about it, isn't it? In some ways, yeah, yeah, yeah. it certainly has. It is. Yeah. It is She's a, actually just got a book out. Ah, I've got you, it here. You're the man for been, the books. I've been researching. You're the man for the uh, books. So yeah, Asma's Indian Kitchen. Uh, home-cooked food brought to you by Darjeeling Express. In sort of uh, preparation for Asma coming on next week, I'm cooking out of this this week. Ah. Maybe tomorrow. Are you going to give us a, give us a clue what you're going to prepare or is it going to be I up on Insta? It will be up on Insta, I'm sure. Yeah. Because we're all Spot. about the likes. We're all about the likes. Uh, very good. So, first topic that I wanted to broach today, and I know you're aware of it, but it's just to make other people aware of it as well, those who perhaps work in hospitality that aren't aware or those that don't. Um, we've mentioned before previously, like, there seems to be, because of the pandemic and what's, mm. and what's happened and how badly it's affected hospitality, although there was a certain sense of community there without doubt beforehand, I think realizing and empathizing with the struggles of people who work in our industry, um, that sense of community has gotten a bit stronger. And I don't think there's uh, an organization that epitomizes that more than a charity by the name of Hospitality Action. Now, it was set up in order specifically to help people who work in the hospitality industry, and it helps them through a range of um, through a range of things, just going through their website here. They, um, sorry, they come in when the clarence burnt down. They did, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so they're literally yeah, so like... if you need anything, just give us a ring. Yeah, and, and it's nice to know um, that you've got that kind of support. Um, but they deal with all sorts of things, like, like Paul mentioned about the Royal Clarence, which sadly burnt down when him and I were working there. Not related. I'll put that out there. Not related. We have to say that every time we mention yeah. it burning down. Exactly. Yeah, I got a phone call. I got a phone call from my brother-in-law uh, the day after the Clarence burnt down, and um, I never get phone calls from my brother-in-law ever, ever, ever. Like never. And he rung me up just to ask me if I'd been making toast. 
Yeah, they love that, don't they? <laughs> no, they love yeah. that. I've just lost, lost my job. Yeah, lost my no, livelihood. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But his, you, you crack on with the jokes, mate. In his in his thick scouse accent. Yeah, been making any toast? You been making some toast? <laughs> but yeah, going back to hospitality action, there's a range of um range of things in which they offer support on. And just going through the website here, um, addiction, uh, and uh, anxiety, particularly related to the virus itself, coping with uncertainty, looking after your well-being and furlough. Uh, financially fit throughout coronavirus, suicide awareness, rent and mortgages, how to cope with bereavement, anger management, which is a big thing for chefs. I mean, mm-hmm. it's 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 quite well documented that we can be um, quite tempestuous at times. You more so than me. You, can. you yeah. are, you're horrible. I've, got, I've seen I've you go. Horrible. I've I'm seen you horrible. go. No, you're not. Um, but it is literally anything they could possibly help you with that is relating to the industry they are more than happy to sort of um, give any advice and any help they can. I've got a quote here, which is from their principal patron of the charity, uh, the one and only Mr. Jason Atherton. Oh, one, of the, one of the very, very best chefs cooking and working in the country today. Um, and it's all to do with a cookbook that they released in order to raise money for charity for this particular charity and for people who are affected through all the things I've just mentioned. He says, when lockdown began in March 2020, we all felt a deep sense of loss, but this was tempered by the joy of spending precious time at home with our families. Behind our closed doors, we all did what we do best. We cooked and cooked. So when Hospitality Action asked us to contribute to Chefs at Home, which is the book, we had lists of recipes as long as you're armed to offer up. Uh, All the dishes in this book were conceived and cooked with love. Think butties, monster munch and mash, not foams, soils and emulsions and bits and pieces like that. And it features chefs, uh, the likes of Lisa Allen, Michelle Rue Jr., James Cochran, Vivek Singh, James Martin, Angela Hartnett, Michael Keynes, Tom Brown. The list literally goes on and uh, it is available now. By the time this goes out, it will be available to purchase and the money, of course, in some way, uh, will go to Hospitality Action. And they'll be doing what they can to help out the likes of you and I or anybody else who needs it that yeah. works within the trade. And I just think it's a real worthy cause, which is certainly worth giving a mention to. I've pre-ordered a copy already. You've, I know, yeah. Well, you're, you're the cookbook man, aren't you? I'm like, well, I'm that sort of a bloke, yeah. I'm intrigued to find out what he means by monster munch mash. <laughs> I'll let you know. You let me know. That could, be your, that could be your first, um, first recipe cooked in the book. Monster Munch Mash. Um, oh, so yeah, yeah that's, that's hospitality action. So if there is, by any chance, anyone who's listening to this who is affected by, well, anything that I mentioned, but anything at all, and they happen to work in hospitality and you need a little bit of help, um, just get in touch with them. And I'm sure they'll only be more than happy to help you out in whatever way they can. So that's hospitality action. Thought I'd give Fantastic. it a mention. Thought I'd give it a mention. Lovely. Uh, People have been getting in touch in their droves this week, Shane. In their droves. You mean the two people that give us questions? That's... <sighs> I wasn't going to say that. No. But I, I'm pretty no. sure two is, te- away. two is technically a drove. A drove, yeah. So uh, the first question this week comes from uh, uh, Greg at the Welcome Cafe. Forgot his name, though. Your old uh, boss. I used, I used to work for him. Yeah, I forgot his name. Uh, He's that sort of a bloke. Uh, And he said, uh, topics uh, worth exploring on the podcast. Uh, People saying they want to support local, but the infrastructure meaning it's more local supplier than local produce. Uh, And then he's put a little bit on the end there. Costs of local and organic. Costs of local and organic and whether people would be actually willing to pay, especially for cafe prices and expectations. So I thought we could have a little chat about that this week. Yeah. So uh, am I right in thinking what he's getting at is the price of organic local produce obviously is more expensive. Yeah. Um, And it sort of, for your, should we say, lower spend per head kind of market, like what he's talking about, cafes and bits and pieces like that. If they were to purchase produce of that kind and give it the appropriate markup that they require, 
yeah. it would almost be making themselves too expensive for their for their regular I punters. Think, well, I think that's exactly what it's getting at. You're just pricing yourself out of the market, aren't you, mm. by doing that? Um, and sort of the second, the first part of this question was uh, having the uh, idea that you're a local. You put local on the menu, but whether sure. does that mean local supplier right. or local produce? Right, right. I'm with you. Well, yeah. I mean, it's it's a term that we, that we all use. You know, it's 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 one of those buzzwords. It goes on menus or it goes on you know website blurbs and things mm-hmm. like that. Local, seasonal, um, and even places go to the extent to really give the customer an insight of the provenance of the ingredients, they will put the particular yeah. farm or the particular supply with which the product comes from, like, you know, so-and-so's free-range eggs or so-and-so's pork or so-and-so's tomatoes and things like that. Um, yeah. But yeah, it is a tough one. I mean, food costs, they seem to be always going up all the time. They're going to go up even more now. Yeah, and, and, especially, and especially for things that are going to be imported, that have to be imported. And, and I don't know, I always find it a tough one. I, I always call it, I always call it the, the avocado complex in a way. Yeah. You know, because it, it's an ingredient which pops up on a lot of menus, especially cafe menus, you know, like, um, like what Greg has and did have and loads of other places. They're not cheap ingredients. They're not seasonal. They're not local, no. but people yeah, enjoy yeah. them. So there's certain areas where people don't care. You know, no. if, 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 you were to, if you were to have a cafe that had a reputation for doing, you know, wonderful smashed avocado on toast, and then you were saying, right, I'm going to go for a complete local and seasonal approach, and I'm not going to put avocado on the menu at all, you'd probably get a, yeah. a, a fair few customers who enjoy that dish. You get their ass in their hand, and they won't come back. Um, but they, they are not often the ones that understand or take a consideration towards food costs and things of that nature. No. Um, but yeah, I heard Simon Holston talk about it in an interview not so long ago, or a few years ago, was it? And he doesn't like to use local as a term all the time. He says local where yeah. it's best, because there is some yeah, things, yeah. you know, if I can get asparagus 10 miles down the road, but the asparagus I can pick up in Dorset is better, and it's yeah. at the same price or marginally more expensive or whatever, you know, you use the best ingredients that you can source. It doesn't, some of yeah. the stuff that's on your doorstep just happens to be not very good. Yeah. So, yeah, it is, it is a tricky one. It is a tricky one. I, I, I'm, I'm like yourself and a lot of other chefs, you know, you try and be as strong an advocate as you can for your, for your local economy. You, you want to cook yeah. seasonally because that's what dictates your menu, you know? Mm. It's difficult, yeah. isn't it? Mm. It's difficult to uh, do that. And then the price... The price thing. Are people willing to pay? Well, it almost it almost harps back to if you've got a delicious organic radish, for example, sure. that costs I don't know five pound a bag, or you can get a pack of uh, just bog standard radishes for one pound a bag. Yeah. From a business point of view, it makes sense to buy a one pound bag. Of course. If you're, um, how can I say this in the nicest possible term? A if bit you of can't, an eco. If you, if you can't, don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> if you're a bit of an eco cafe or restaurant where you like to have everything organic and everything, you know, mm-hmm. comes in covered in cow shit, um, <laughs> and you're willing to pay the five pound, how do you translate that to a customer to say, our, you know, radish salad is, I don't know, 10 quid. So you can make up for that GP, but you could go down the road and get exactly the same thing for four pound. Uh, yeah, but it, it wouldn't be exactly the same thing, would it? That, 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 in, that in itself is, is almost the point, isn't it? it it's seemingly <clears throat> exactly the same thing, but, but it is. From a customer's point from of view. From a customer's point of view, yeah. Who's generally a layman. Unless yeah, they're yeah. a super duper foodie, mm. you know, you wouldn't yeah. know the difference between a great radish and a bog standard, standard radish. Yeah, I don't know what you're getting. At. I think in terms of you know the provenance being key, 
uh, and the sourcing of ingredients being something that's of paramount importance, that that is just mm. down to the mentality of the owners and the chefs. If that's something yeah. that they really want to drive forward and push and it's a real focus for the restaurant, then they will go to that degree and they will mm. put the appropriate prices on. And they'll say the reason it costs this much is because that is the best X, Y, Z you can get from in this area. And we're trying to support the local economy. Um, but talking yeah. about like the prices that you pay for things, it almost harps back to a point I think we made a few weeks back now with the, the eat out to help out and people's perception of what a decent meal actually costs has been yeah. skewed somewhat because of yeah. having months Sorry. and months and months of having 50% off this and you know then restaurants trying to keep that custom by bringing their margins and prices down. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's going to be a really tricky position for, for a lot of restaurants and eateries and cafes going forward um, yeah. if that happens to be the case. But it's, and it's, he's just put on the on there, sorry, he's just put on the end there, especially for cafe prices and expectation. So I think what he's trying to get at is you're mm-hmm. a cafe, yeah. you're expected to be, you know, a cheap uh, place to go and eat. Yeah. Whether Whatever you're serving in a cafe, it's generally, I'm not talking about a, you know, trucker cafe. No, no, no. Serves, what do you mean? You know, but that sort of cafe vibe. Yeah, you're going for a coffee and a bite to eat. You're not going to a restaurant. No, no. Or a just, pub. You're going to a cafe. Just where you spend per head is, you know, yeah. About and about a customer. A yeah, and the customer expects to get, you know, a cheaper food. Sure. But as a business, you want to offer them a bit more of an organic or a bit more of a local thing. Is there a place for that? I think you, you you're trying to educate your customer, aren't you? And, you know as well as I do that that's not the easiest thing to do in the world. No. No. It, it's a tough one. But I always think if, if a customer's coming into your place, your aim is always to exceed their expectations with the quality of it. I think maybe what you're referring yeah. to, though, in more detail, is those people that just won't go back, irrespective of how good it is, they're just not willing to pay the price. Yeah. Um, but then again, you know, if, if, if that's the case, then, then they're not your punters, are they? No. They're... they're they're not for you, but you always want to try and exceed expectations. If you go into a cafe um, and, you know, you're expecting, like you say, just a standard toasted sandwich and a cup of coffee or whatever, mm. and you get something that comes out and it's using the best quality of ingredients, it's a few quid more, but it's literally the best, you know, croque madame you've ever had or something like that. And yeah, you think yeah, to yourself, God, yeah. yeah, I'll keep going back for that. I don't mind paying the money. Um, but it is a, it's, it's a really interesting question, actually, and a really interesting topic for debate. Um, and if there is anybody out there listening who, you know, is involved in the, shall we say, sort of like the cafe brunch kind of trade, then get in touch because we'd, we'd, yeah. we'd love to hear what your thoughts are about it. And if you've been affected in any way in terms of, you know, trying to make ends meet, rising food costs, et cetera, et cetera, let us know, get in touch. But great question. Yeah. I think it's all about your chef as well, isn't it? Sure. And not having someone in there that's going to be buying, you know, £200 fucking lettuce leaves. Well, you don't want to be buying stuff out of season, that's for sure, no, because yeah. then it is more expensive. Um, yeah. Yeah. So there is other ways in which you can hurt your business financially. If you're buying asparagus in December, that's not going <laughs> well. to be as good a price <laughs> or quality as what it would be when it is around in season in the UK. So, yeah. Yeah. Very interesting topic. Very good, good question. question. Yeah, and if you did want to get in touch, it's uh, theprepkitchenpod at gmail.com or you can find us on Instagram, theprepkitchenpodcast. Good plug. Thank you. Uh, the next question uh, I got today uh, was from Jason Mead from the Galley in Topsham. Our friend Jason. Uh, our friend Jason. He is after menu ideas and he <laughs> messaged today saying, your favourite no, fish not. to cook. He's not. He's, uh, not he after, he's not after menu ideas from us. No, he's I'll not. I'll text him. He says, you've worked uh, me out. Uh, he said, uh, <laughs> favourite fish to cook and how you like to serve it, or best way to serve it. You take it away, Chief. Uh, it's difficult, it's difficult to pick one. It's very difficult to pick one. I love fish. I love cooking fish. Um, and we're definitely going to have to come down to see you, Jason, when we're allowed to reopen. For sure. Um, I narrowed it down as best I could uh, and I think 
right now as we record this. My favourite is skate, um, and uh, just simply pan fried. Uh, we had a dish on at the hotel uh, where we just did it with a little tomato salad, uh, courgette and mint puree, and then just some you know really simply boiled buttered new potatoes. Um, but you could do it a more classic route with uh, bernoset with some capers and shallots and stuff thrown in. Um, but yeah, really versatile. Uh, if you're not a chef and you want to cook some skate, it's quite cheap. Um, make sure it doesn't smell of ammonia because that means it's off. Mm. That's the biggest tip. Uh, and secondly, it's just got a lot of bones in there. You can cut them off, but it doesn't. It cooks too quickly. I find it will cook. Yeah, it, it cooks better with the with the yeah. bone in, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's, yeah. it's one of those. It's it. I'd imagine it's one gelatinous. of those. It's it's one of those pieces of fish that you just threw it to somebody who doesn't do all that much cooking or even fairly okay cook at home. It, it looks like a daunting thing. You know, yeah, just looks very bizarre. But um, it's, it really is tasty. Gelatinous. Yeah. Texture. Yeah, Texture. but it tastes it tastes delicious. Very nice. And I remember that just dish in the ends and in the hot pan butter. Based, based, based. Yeah. Very delicious. Uh, and you, Chief, have you got any? Um, probably not so much a particular fit. Well, sort of like a, a type of fish and a way of cooking, mm. like flatfish, but flatfish on the bone. Yeah. So like a place or a lemon sole or even um, something like a, a T-bone of brill or if, you, if you've got the money, some turbot. Um, because the the bone in, just imparts so much flavour, and again, like yeah. Paul said, with, with fish cookery especially, um, yeah. the the simpler you can keep it, the better. So, I mean, I'm looking at writing menus at the moment, and I'm toying with the idea of doing like a roasted half of place. So, just literally mm-hmm. cut right down the middle. So you've got the dark side, the dark skin side, and the light skin side, and it's mm-hmm. literally on one side in the pan, coloured. Bit of hot, bit of uh, butter in there, foam it up, pump it in the oven, bring it out, and then just put it on a rack and let it rest like it would anything else. If the top layer of skin peels away, you know it's cooked. If it's struggling it's to come away, then uh, it needs to go back in the oven for a bit longer. And just serve nice and simply. I mean, once if if you use that method, you know some butter in there, baste it, baste it, baste it. Take the fish out to rest. All you need to do is put a squeeze of lemon juice in that foaming butter, mm. maybe a little bit of water as well if you wanted. I mean, a tiny little bit. And then just let that all emulsify and then finish it with a load of fresh chopped herbs. Baste it over the top of the fish onto your plate yeah. and, you know, serve it with some nice, um, a nice fresh salad or new potatoes won't be far away. So like Paul said, just some buttered new potatoes or you could even have it with some fries if you wanted. I mean, yeah. but that, that's, that's my favorite type of fish to cook in, in that yeah. way. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And things like place is pretty inexpensive as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny you should say resting there. I was watching a thing with Monica earlier on and she says, just rest everything. Rest meat, fish, anything you cook. And you you sort of don't think about resting fish, do you? No. You think, oh, rest meat, steaks and stuff, of course. But you don't think about resting fish. It's something that I've I've seen the clip before and I've sort of bought it into cookery as much as I can. And Mm. it's amazing the difference it makes just resting a fish for a minute or two. Hugely. Um, one of the best tips that I ever got for talking about resting, and it's a particular dish, but um, resting a risotto mm. sounds a bit weird, but the, the texture, mm. how you can really sort of almost feel every individual grain of rice, if it's cooked properly. Yeah. I mean, obviously, if you cook it badly and then rest it, yeah. you're, still, you're just going to get a bad risotto. But, <laughs> you know, at the end, you've put all your, um, you know, your grated parmesan in there, your mascarpone, whatever one you use, and the risotto's cooked. And, you just put it off to the side, put a couple of knobs of butter in there and put a lid on mm. and just off the heat, you know, on the side of your kitchen and whatever and just let it sit there for 10 minutes and take the lid yeah. off and just then stir that butter. And it obviously makes such a huge difference. It gives the, it does, yeah. it, it gives the rice chance to relax because, you know, the rice is starchy. You've been working it and working it and working it. Sometimes mm. they can be a bit too tight. Um, yeah. But this just, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's one of the best told, tips. Since you told me about doing that, I do that all the time now yeah I can't mm. remember where, where, where I got that tip from but I saw it and I just was like yeah I'm going to try it and it's also a great one if you're if you're actually um, you work as a chef and you put a risotto on because obviously it's one of these things that 
you want to be as good as possible. But if you know you can put that dish up next to the pass with the lid on and it gives you eight to 10 minutes, you yeah. know, you can think to yourself, well, I can get this on early now. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter if it's, you know, I'm five minutes ahead of time because it's going to sit there for 10 minutes anyway. Yeah. And it gives me a chance to sort out, you know, other garnishes, checking other bits and pieces. But yeah, really, really useful tip. Mm. Fantastic. Yeah. I hope we've Good. got that one, Jason. I hope Good those question. Uh, feature on your menu there. We've helped yeah. you out with a bit of menu writing. I look forward to uh, coming down to the to the galley in Topshin and seeing some roasted half a lemon sole on there and some skate yeah. wings. Yeah, yeah, skate be wings, nice. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Uh, so you've been trawling the internet this week, Chief, and I don't know where you find this shit, but you've got a story about some monks and cheese. Well, it actually came to me. My phone just uh, popped up. With a little it notification, up. it blew up. A little notification that just dropped down from the top of my phone, and uh, the headline grabbed me. It said, "French monks locked down with 2.8 tons of cheese, pray for buyers." <laughs> and, and and when you get a headline like that, you've just like got you to go, have to bring it into just the podcast. Got to, you've just got to go and have a look. And um, yeah, talking about how the you know the, the pandemic has affected restaurants, and I think it's something that you know we could have talked further about. Um, with Greg's initial question, it's and it's often overlooked, actually. Um, but the suppliers, mm. have obviously, it's been difficult for them as well because they've got these workforces that depend on them for a living. They've got to go out and source the produce, but now they've got no one to sell it to. Um, and this is exactly what's happened to these poor French monks in the heart of Burgundy. Um, I'll just give you a little bit at the beginning. It says a French monastery in the heart of Burgundy has launched an emergency online sale to get rid of thousands of its artisanal cheeses, which are languishing in its cellars as COVID-19 keeps buyers away. Um, So yeah, they're left with 4,000 cheeses too many, a 2.8 ton problem. Um, The funny bit in it is where the monk says, we tried explaining to our 75 cows that uh, (laughs) that they needed to produce less milk but they don't seem to have understood. Um, well, being cows, I imagine they wouldn't. Well, maybe they're not French cows. Maybe they're Jersey cows. Maybe they're Jersey cows and they're sitting there going, they just you don't got, understand. They go, yeah. you, got, you got any fucking idea what he's talking about? Yeah. Don't speak French, mate. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's Jersey just outside of uh, Epping, by the way. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah no, don't Morris, speak French. Yeah. So, yeah, they've, um, it says their sales are down nearly 50%. The French restaurant's still closed until th- uh, from the 30th of October. They've been closed. Um, they need to clear out their stock. Uh, they have been doing what they can. They've been praying, uh, which I think has helped because according to the website, 700 kilos has already been ordered. Jean-Claude, one of the monks there, says, we are going to make it. So They've eaten it. They, I think they've eaten it, yeah. Um, they've eaten it. The minimum order is two wheels at 23 euros each. So a minimum order of 40 quid. So if there's any... Um, cheese lovers out there that want to go and uh, mm. help our cousins across the channel mm. uh, go and buy some cheese from uh, monks at the Situ Abbey just south of Dijon does it say what sort of mu- uh, I was going to say does it say what sort of mustard it is does it say what sort of cheese it is <laughs> I thought you were going to say does it say what sort of monks they are <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know many different types I don't of- buy anything uh, off fucking Franciscans <laughs> Better not be those southern French monks. <laughs> um, what type? What type of cheese? What, what type of cheese it is? Um, not that I can see. I, th- I think there's a, a few different varieties that they make, but by the look of the picture, it looks like some kind of softest cheese between like a brie and a camembert sort of vibe. I think. Oh, right. um, but they are. Um, they're quite a prestigious monastery. It says the monks' cheese won the silver medal at last year's international food and drink competition in Lyon which is a bastion of France's culinary heritage. Um, but yeah, France is having a right rough old time. Yeah. Um, they're, they're in lockdown. I, I got given a, an email a couple of weeks back, and it was from uh, friends of mine who are living in France, and they're experiencing lockdown in France. Very, very, very rural France. Beautiful part of the country. I was lucky enough to go there uh, before the first lockdown. So January 2020. Yep. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's in um, the Aquitaine region of France. It's it's a lesser known kind of destination, but it's it's lovely. But anyway, uh, Andrew Law kindly sent me an email, and he said that there was a restaurant owner in Nice who had just had enough uh, of the lockdown, and he decided one day 
putain, I'm going to open, I'm, I'm going to open for lunch. So, <laughs> so we opened for lunch and obviously the French love a lunch and they were yeah, queuing, wow. they were queuing around the corner. The restaurant was packed. Um, but what he didn't realize or so did realize, didn't care about, I suppose that, uh, almost directly opposite from his little, um, his little restaurant is the gendarmerie, which is the, which is the municipal police. Oh, ooh la la. Um, ooh la la. Oh, la la. Um, so the gendarmerie, I think kindly, I think because of, you know, a little bit of compassion for their, um, yeah. for their restaurant owning friend, decided to let him finish sort of serving all the lunches. Uh, and once he was done, they proceeded to fine everyone in the restaurant 800 euros. And the uh, restaurant owner is now in prison. Fantastic. So, uh, <laughs> a cheap lunch. A cheap lunch, yeah. But he just apparently just says, I just can't do this. I fuck it. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to open. So he did. And the French being the French, the sound of the stove being lit and yeah. uh, mussels being cast into a roasting hot pan uh, was just too yeah, much for them. them every time, doesn't and it? they were, oh God, yeah. They were straight around there. So, yeah, 800 euros a piece. And the restaurant owner is now in um, Le Bastille or the equivalent of close by so expensive lunch expensive lunch so yeah that was the interesting little fantastic bit yeah I just, thought it was quite, cheese. I just thought it was quite amusing really but the, mm. the French just seem to have when it, if there's some things they're so stoic about it's like no one but stands in the way of me having my lunch <laughs> you know <laughs> I will get you know that's a yeah. terrible accent that's, that's well, not German well for yeah. our listeners, it doesn't matter. No, I know. Um, yeah. But yeah, there's, there's part of me that really applauds the French in their attitudes, really. Mm. Things like that. Right, Chief. Now, we would normally be going mm. to... I'll let you say it so Ed can put the effects on. We'd normally be going to... Paul's Book Review. Very well done. Um, <laughs> however, this week, you've got something uh, different lined up, and I believe different... We're not doing it. Do what? Put it, put it out there. We're not doing it. This no. week, uh, it's something new that we're trying out, uh, maybe to come in the next series, but we're just going to try it out today. Uh, it is a uh, cookery program. Uh, not review. Well, I suppose they are reviews, really. Mm. Yeah. Uh, we need, to, we, need week, to, we need to think of a... a, a we need to think yeah. of a jaunty title. Yeah, I know. Because yeah. it's kind of a... Mm, it maybe is a yeah. I suppose yeah. it is. Doesn't yeah. doesn't really roll off the tongue, does it? I've got it. Go on. Instead of chef's table, yeah. we'll call it chief's table. I'm happy with that. How's that? G- give it Ed, a try. It's time for chief's table. That's 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 going to be the biggest segment. Yeah, yeah. Just- and then Ed, if you can find, uh, I think it's Vivaldi, Four Seasons Winter for uh, <laughs> royalty free, and then we'll just play that over this. Yeah, that'd be good. Yeah. That'd I don't really have to pay for classical music like that, but have let's a look, just, Let's just say... You're unemployed. The, let's just say for the sake of um, getting anyone into trouble, Ed will pay for it. He will pay. He He's will paid pay. already by the time you listen to this. Yeah. And we're not giving him the money back. No. He's paid for that out of his own pocket. He's a good man. He's a nice guy. Right. Uh, Chief's Table. Chief's Table is going on to Chef's Table, and it's Series 1, Episode 1, and it's Massimo Batura. Massimo. So we are going, we are going to Medina in Italy. You're going right back. When was this first um, put out onto uh, Netflix? Mm. Uh, it came out in 2015, so five, so six years Five, ago. six years. Uh, the bio for this episode is... Uh, by blending Italian tradition and artful modernity, Chef Massimo Batturo's Austria... Oh, this is too many Italian words in one go. Austria Francescana has been ranked the third best restaurant in the world. Bang. Bang. What a guy. So it starts uh, in May 2012, just after the earthquake in uh, Medina. Um, and uh, the Parmesan factories... 360,000 wheels of Parmesan had been damaged. Um, and uh, if they couldn't find a way to use them, half of the production of Parmesan would be finished. Jeez. So a little bit like the... Uh, monks crisis. The French cheese. Bunks, oh, I know. French monks cheese. 
Uh, Massimo Bittoro was called by, um, I can't think of his title, the head of Parmesan uh, in Italy uh, to think of something to do. So he said, let's make a, and I'm going to butcher this, a risotto catapapa, something like that, a risotto with Parmesan uh, that everyone around the world can make. Uh, and they did. And uh, I think they sold half, three quarters of the Parmesan and not a single person lost their job. Wow. So that is how it starts. So you're hooked. You're hooked. Uh, you're in, yeah. Uh, and then it goes on to go through his life. Um, he had a restaurant quite young in Italy, uh, in Moderna. And then he said, I've got to go to New York or I've got to get away for a while. So he moved to New York, went to work in like a Italian restaurant, cafe type thing in a New York. or something. Yeah, something like that. Met his wife um, or his girlfriend at the time. Then he got a phone call saying, you've got to come back because you didn't sell your restaurant. You just left it all there. Oh, neglectful. Neglectful, Massimo. Yeah. So he went back and he called his uh, girlfriend and said, are you going to come come over? And she did. And she was there for 10 days. And he got a telephone call from Alain Ducasse, who said, come to Hotel du Paris and teach my chefs how to make pasta and tortellinis and everything like that. <laughs> so she'd been there for 10 days and he fucked off to Hotel Ow. du Paris. Yeah. Um, there's a really in, there's a really interesting bit in there actually where he goes to the market, um, and asks this woman, uh, "How are the chanterelles today?" She said the chanterelles are great, but the you know oysters are terrible, um, which I think is quite interesting. And chefs don't do it really, do they? Where you go to the market and get used to speaking to people like that. And I always feel sometimes over here, if you phone the supplier, they'll say, "Yeah, that's great, Chris. I'm this is about you." <laughs> they'll say it's great and it turns up and it's not very great I'm only joking Chris um, so all Massimo's dishes are made with traditional uh, Moderna ingredients but made in a different way than a trattoria so they're more elevated um, and uh, they talk about how one night he was in the movies and with his wife and she said what did you think of the film he said, I wasn't thinking about it. I was thinking how you could make a clear mozzarella and tomato drink. So he's always thinking about never, food. Never switch off. I think, yeah. Never switches off. That's textbook behavior from someone who's, you know, regarded as a real visionary yeah. in the last sort of couple of decades of, well, certainly in Italian cuisine, but on the world stage as well. And it's mm. just, it's, it's what separates them from the, from the mere mortals like you and I, you know, they yeah, just, right, they yeah. just see, they, they, they see beyond about food. Yeah, they see beyond just the basic, mm. you know, cooking and plating and flavor combinations. Their their minds work in different ways that people, excuse me, like you and I could only sort of aspire to get to, really. Yeah. So, um, yeah, he went to work for Alain Ducasse, came back, got married, and they opened uh, this restaurant, which I butchered saying earlier, but I'm going to try again. Go on. Osteria. Francescano. Um, Perfecto. And obviously that's gone from strength to strength. He's got three Michelin stars. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And the people of Moderna hated it because it wasn't what Italian food is. Yeah. But uh, it broke all the rules, didn't it? He broke the rules. Um, and then he was saying that uh, a f- one of Italy's biggest food critics for Espresso magazine or something uh, was driving from one part of Italy down, but there was a massive traffic jam and they had to stop in Moderna, booked in, had something to eat and said, I'm sorry that I, it's taken me this long to get here. Wow. Um, and he, because he wasn't getting the feedback that he wanted from the residents of Moderna and mm-hmm. the food critics and everything, he just thought, oh, fuck it. I'm just going to be so outrageous now. And he did like 10 tortellino on a plate called Tortolono going to the broth um, oh, and they yeah. hated it and then his classic crispy bits of the lasagna which they hated um, yeah. and yeah it's just took off from there and then how it's sort of evolved over time 
mm. to somewhere that his wife and his kids go and <coughs> and all that sort Excuse of thing. Me. It's a very good opening episode. Oh, it is. And yeah. hopefully as this segment goes on, uh, I'll get better at reviewing them. But yeah, a very good opening episode. And it goes big into... Name as well. A big, big name, yeah. And this, he's famous for his Oops, I Dropped the Lemon Tart. Oops, I Dropped the Lemon Tart. Yeah, they yeah. go into that. Where his, um, his sous chef was plating up a lemon tart. and The last ones of the evening, yeah. yeah. he dropped it on the floor or on the side of the... He just dropped it on ...work the surface, yeah. And it just, you know, as Lumbered a lemon tart would, down. just yeah. capitulated un- under the force. And his sous chef was distraught. Oh, no. And then Massimo, you watch it, it's great. He goes, stop. And yeah. he's like, Look, and he's doing all yeah. this, going, look. And from there, yeah. it's developed into this dessert known as Oops, I Dropped the Lemon Tart, which yeah. is inspired by a complete disaster. It's yeah. just, it, like I say, it's just a different thought process for chefs like that. Whereas, like you and I, if someone dropped the lemon tart last one of the night and there was nothing left, yeah. we, you know, we'd have been fairly displeased with that. Oh, I would have gone fucking bananas. You would have gone bananas. Yeah. Sue Chef's um, interviewed on there and he's talking about that. Mm. And he says, I just wanted to kill myself. <laughs> yeah. It's the last one of the night, and I just went into, yeah, especially uh, in a restaurant of that stand, you know, of that caliber. Yeah. yeah, I've got a couple of questions. Go on. Uh, firstly, uh, what do you think about chefs giving dishes funny names? Well, not something I've really ever thought of that much. I mean, it doesn't as as long as. As long as the names, I suppose, are in keeping with the style um, of the restaurant or it doesn't seem so out of place, mm. um, you know, I couldn't see them. You don't really get it over here, do you? No, but in terms of, you know, I wouldn't expect to walk into the dining room at the Ritz Hotel, um, firstly, because I wouldn't expect to get that far. They'd ask me to leave by the time my ass got through the lobby. But, um, you know, you wouldn't go into the, a place like that and find some quirky name to describe a dish or give it some you know, almost a personality of its own through its name. It's something I yeah. don't do, I don't think of. Um, I've seen a little odds and sods here and there. You know, I've seen dishes referred to as tongue and cheek when they're using ox mm. tongue and ox cheek yeah. and things like that, which is fair enough. I mean, but if it seems out of place, it just looks a bit odd. You sort of sit on the Great British menu, don't you? They'll give it a little. Well, know. they do, yeah, because they're, they're working. Like I said, it makes sense for them to do it because they've been given a particular remit and it shows how much thought they're putting into the dish and its presentation and how much it relates to the subject that they've mm. been given to sort of, or that brief they've been given to cook along to. But no, I wouldn't be going and putting quirky names on a menu, probably because I'm not that clever to come up with anything half decent, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and the second question that I've got is, um, we used to work with a chef who... Um, I can't remember whether you were in on that specific day, but he was telling me about Oops, I Dropped the Lemon Tart. Okay. And how he wanted to put something similar on the menu. Does this ring any bells? Alarm bells is what it rings, to be be precise. Um, But yeah, it's ringing bells. Uh, I know we've talked in the past about using chef's dishes for inspiration. Yeah. But when you've got such an iconic dish as Oops, I Dropped the Lemon Tart, in whatever guise you could come up with to put that on a menu. Yeah. What, not would you, because I know the answer. Yeah. But do you think there is a place for that? Well, and that's... Or should you be focusing on putting on the best lemon tart that you can? If you use his lemon tart recipe, yeah. but don't break it. Mm. Or... Well, it would just... Could you put on a menu, mm. oops, I dropped the lemon tart, Massimo Baturo? as we did with Egg Custard Tart Marcus wearing, Yeah. Or is it a complete, you know, don't even go there? Well, it, for you. For, for me, it would be a complete... I know you wouldn't do it, but no, your I, opinion I, on it. I think, well, it would almost seem contrarian if I was to say, don't do it. But then again, we have done similar things. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a really difficult one. I always say, if you are going to take a recipe straight from a chef, Mm. And you're going to use it in the exact fashion, especially something as recognisable as, you know, Pig's Trotters, Pierre Kaufman, or, you know, yeah. Ed Custard Tart, Marcus Wang, whatever it might be. Um, you've, you've got to honour the chef who come up with the dish. Yeah. Um, but something like that, which is so incredibly personal and is yeah. and was literally created in a, you know, a, a serendipitous kind of 
moment in a particular place. You mm. know, from disaster came a dish, which yeah. has been, you know, which is now renowned around the world. Um, yeah, I think I think that's going a bit too far. Because if you just put on there, oops, I dropped the lemon tart, and you put it in your own high street bistro, that's just obvious plagiarism because people wouldn't... Yeah. The, not, not every punter who comes through your door would really have an idea of where it comes from. If you were willing to share the story along with part of the service, mm. um, then perhaps you could get away with it, but I, I wouldn't go near anything like that. No. And not me, Chief. To a, to a certain chef that might... I would do it. I know they would do it. Yeah. What would you say? No? I don't. Yeah. If you went into a job and they said, look, we've got this dessert idea. Mm. It's a lemon tart that's been dropped upside down. And you know full well that it's his, but Mm. they're trying to give you a bit of bullshit. Mm. Would you say, hang on a minute, that's three-star Michelin's massive overturo. Or would you say, yeah, it's a good idea? If I knew I wasn't going to go back there to work, I'd probably egg it on and go, oh, great idea. They're going to love this. Where'd you get your ideas from? <laughs> and then ring from? Massimo. And then I'd, yeah, I'd get straight We've got touch. his number now because of the podcast. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd, be, I'd be inclined to say straight away because I'd almost be insulted that they I'd would be assume. embarrassed. Well, I'd be insulted if someone was trying to play it off and mm. not expect me to know what it is and where it's come from. Yeah. That'd be like them saying, you're clearly a fucking moron and I'm going to pull the wool over your eyes here. And this is my, oops, I dropped the lemon tart. And they'd be like, well, yeah. I, I'm a chef and I live on earth. So I know, <laughs> I know that this dish isn't yours. It's not yours, big boy. It's not yours, no. So I wouldn't do it, Chief. But there are some that will. They and will do probably it. countless others that have tried to copy something in that kind of way. You know, shit they, versions. Well, they've, they probably made like a chocolate delice and then just punch it the second, you know, before yeah. it goes out of the kitchen yeah. or something like that. You know, yeah. crap, oops. I dropped the chocolate tart. Oh, yeah. Deary my, I left the freezer <laughs> open and, and defrosted all the ice cream. You know, something like that. Um, yeah. No, it's not for me, Chief. I'm a lot more... It's not for you. A lot more textbook than that, I'm afraid. I'm not the most adventurous chef in the world, mm. you know, and that's yeah. sometimes to my detriment, but can sometimes be... Perhaps to my credit as well. Who knows? I'm not the one to judge. Well, yeah. But I, I think there's an interesting argument in there, which we yeah, might absolutely. come back to, actually. Where the... Uh, where's the line? Where's the line of honouring a chef with a dish that you'd call egg custard tart Marcus Waring or mm. pig's trots Pierre Kaufman? And where do you cross that line into, even if you call a dish, oops, Massimo Baturo dropped his lemon tart again. Mm. The dozy twonk. Uh, <laughs> where does that line blur? Even if you'd have worked at um, this restaurant, yeah, which you're not going to you, pronounce for a third time. Are you? I'm not going to do it again. No. I'm not going to. I'm not going to chance my luck again. Uh, even if you worked there, it's not something you, that you would take. No. You might take his lemon tart recipe, yeah, but you wouldn't necessarily take the spin that he's put on it. No. No, because it is so unique. It is, yeah. like I said, yeah. so individual. You can't, and you couldn't get away with it. You could, no, you, you couldn't. You you get away with it with a few people who wouldn't know what it's all about. But the people that do know, and there are enough people that do know, I'm hoping they would come down on you hard, like a ton yeah. of bricks. Yeah. Can I speak to the chef, please? Yeah. Can I just, just uh, want to know where he got the inspiration for this dish? Just have him out here for a few minutes. I want to clear a few things up. My name like that the- time Gordon Ramsay goes to. Um, uh, oh, in that old. Now. Episode of Kitchen Nightmares. In kitchen, and if, yeah. He has a scallop dish, doesn't series. he? That's yeah. right, yeah. And he could you just the ask waiter. the chef where the inspiration for this dish comes from? Yeah. And you could just do him in the kitchen. Oh, yeah. fuck. <laughs> yeah. It's just that little voiceover that Gordon does yeah. for programs. He's like, this next dish better be good because it's one of mine. Yeah. Like, Maybe we'll do that. Maybe we'll do that on this uh, podcast to talk a about those classic, series. Classic Ramsay. Yeah. Yeah. They're the best ones. Yeah. It'd be worth a go. I, th- I think it's a. Uh, um, a subject which which could bear could bear some fruit for the podcast. That one, chief, it certainly mm. gave us something to talk about there. Yeah, there's always something in there, isn't there? Which will uh, I could pick, I could pick something up. out of anything. No, I know. Yeah, I just I clutch know. at straws and hopefully something <laughs> something's clutch, good enough. Clutching at straws. Well, I think I think there's some traction with that one, mate, for sure. Fantastic. Um, uh, depending on how this goes cookbook reviews might be back next week it might be nice to throw it in for a change they might not in a few weeks time you might come across something and be like 
bang, we're going to put that back in. It's a great book. Yeah. You know, yeah. as as McCann's, for example. Yeah. That's got to be yeah. worth a review. Um, if you have got any TV shows or cookbooks you'd like us to review, uh, you can email us, theprepkitchenpod at gmail.com yeah. or message us on Instagram uh, at theprepkitchenpodcast. Spot on. Spot on. Right, mate. You've got to do that bit. You've got to do that bit. You've, Otherwise, the money doesn't come flying you've in. You've got to do your due diligence, as they say. Um, now, last week, you were victorious. You defeated, was, yeah. you defeated young Katie Knight. Mm. Um, but now it's back dispatched to... Dispatched of. Humanely. Now, yes, humanely dispatched of. Uh, but now it's down to you versus you. Oh, this is the worst one. And here it is. So, come on, Ed. Give us your best. I enjoyed the theme tune last week. It was good, wasn't it? It was very good. Very good. Um, so this one, what I've got for you here, mate, is 10 famous foods or famous dishes mm. which don't actually come from the part of the world you think they come from. Right. Okie dokie. I think so. Yeah? I think so. Yeah. So I'm going to give you 10. And you're going to I tell me. I understand. You're going to tell me where you think they actually originate from. Right. Okay. Are you going to give me the country that I think they come from or no? Would that help? Mm, I don't know. Let's hear the first one and we'll see. Well, the first one is hamburgers. Ah. Um, hamburgers. hamburgers. And where would you where would you think they've come from? Because I think I know. Go on. Where do you think? Uh, the USA. The USA is where is... they you think they come from. Okay, but where is that where... right? Well, actually, the USA is the correct answer in general because hamburger. Oh, yeah. yeah, hamburger takes its name from the German city of Hamburg. Yeah. Um, oh, so you're supposed to think yeah. that they're from Hamburg? Exactly. Yeah. So ah. the first the first patties were invented in the 19th century with minced beef. From right. Hamburg cows. Right. Um, and then it was shipped over to the USA where it evolved into the burger that we know today. And love. So, I've had two dollars this week. Yeah, I know. I don't give a shit about yeah, that. You don't care. Uh, number two, apple pie. Mm. Apple pie. Um, apple pie. Mmm. Good old favorite apple pie. <laughs> um, I'm going to say uh, Austria. You're going Austria for apple yeah. pie. I've got a bit of logic, but I'll hear the answer and then I'll tell you my. Okay. Well, the apple pie was invented right here in England. Right in your house. Right in this, right in these four right. very walls. Um, yeah. So obviously, there's a uh, the famous saying as American as apple pie because apple pie yeah. is hugely associated with America. But actually, right. uh, it especially actually after hails, American Pie came out, it was uh, yeah, and it was hey, uh, it was created here in England, where it was made with apples, figs, pears, and or saffron. Right. The apple pie, the apple pie comes from England. Right. I'll touch, do you want to know my theory or my sort of workings out on Austria? If it brings me any closer to figuring out how your mind works, Chief, I would love to. <laughs> I thought that, uh, like, apple strudel comes from over uh, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I yeah. thought that it had evolved into apple pie. Yeah. It was something that we'd taken on. Yeah. Interesting but theory, was but, wrong. but incorrect. Yeah, yeah but wrong, yeah. Uh, number three, pasta. Mm-hmm. Um, pasta. pasta fresca or pasta fresca? <laughs> um, pasta. Now this is more to do with the origins of pasta. I mean, pasta right. is ob- pasta is obviously Italian, Italian, but yeah, you know the earliest derivatives of what would what, where pasta came from. Right. Are you looking for a, a type of people? Or I'm a looking country? for a country. Um, a type of people like left-handed. Yeah. Uh, I meant like a sort of civilization. Actually. I know what you meant. Yeah, I was just trying to be um, humorous. 
That didn't work. No. Uh, pasta. Um, Egypt. Egypt. You've Egypt. gone Egypt. Yeah. Um, the correct answer is China. Yeah, some say that Marco Polo, whose travels took him to the Far East, brought noodles back to Europe with him in the 14th oh, century. That would make sense, yeah. Yeah, the Italians recreated this starchy delight with their own unique spin, mm. and they came up with spaghetti, penne, and many other glorious forms of pasta oh, that we know that today. Sense. Yeah. Uh, number four, chicken parm or chicken parmesan. Uh, I think that's completely. Um, uh, an American dish. Yeah? Yeah. Chicken parm. Well, you're familiar with um, eggplant parmigiana. Eggplant parmigiana, yeah. Yeah, which is it, called Italian parmigiana. Um, chicken parmigiana, on the other hand, is actually from Australia. Is it? Apparently so. It's a it distinctly is. Australian spin-off. Uh, number five, Danish pastries. Hmm. Uh, Danish pastries. Um, Danish pastries. I'll give you a clue. It's not yeah. Denmark. It's not Denmark. I I got that. Yeah. Mm. Um, is this sort of an inspiration for a Danish pastry? No. It's something. No. It's something that was made elsewhere, and then. Introduced yeah. to Denmark and they just right. they just couldn't get enough of it. Um, I'm gonna say uh, France. I'm gonna say France. Uh, the correct answer is Austria. You went there earlier on, didn't you? <laughs> I was Austria. there earlier. Uh, these mouth-watering laminated pastries were invented in Austria, but uh, were taken back to Denmark and other parts of Europe during the 19th century uh, during a baker's strike. Apparently, oh. in in Denmark, they're named Viennese pastries after the capital of Austria. So, you know, you see the signs that says patisserie yeah. and you get yeah. Vien- viennoiserie as well. So that would be yeah. quintessential viennoiserie. I'm not which, doing very well this week, am I? Yeah, that's all right. Tough ones. But never mind. Uh, Who number cares? S- we can cut this bit out. We can cut it out. Uh, number six, pavlova. Mm, the delicious dessert of meringue. Um, I'll give you a clue. Yeah. You're in Europe, Chief. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. You're in Europe. Well, you're not technically in Europe anymore, neither am I. Now, but no. um, you, you, this country of origin is still most definitely uh, Europe. European. Uh, Germany. Any particular reason why you chose Germany? Uh, just sounds like quite an aggressive word, Pavlova. Yeah. Um, that's absolutely right. It is Germany. Well, there you go. Um, yeah, it says it's a battle between the Australians and the New Zealanders. Uh, they briefly claim that they invented the sugary treat. But experts have confirmed that pavlova was invented in Germany and perfected in the USA, apparently. But it is it is German. It's a pavlova. Yeah. It's German. Yeah. We will not, we won't let you take our pavlova. It's German. Helga, where's my pavlova? <laughs> well, this could get us in trouble. So we'll move yeah, quickly. Man. We'll move quickly on. Number seven, croissant. Le croissant. Le typique pâtissier français croissant. Uh, yeah, I know this. Mm. Of course, escaped my mind. Um, We're back in Europe again. I know. Uh, Is it Swiss? No. Ah. It is not Swiss. It's actually Austrian. Ah, them fuckers it's another pa- It's another famous pastry invented by the Viennese in Austria. Uh, number eight, nachos. <laughs> don't even start. Ah. I don't want to hear, mixing- I don't wanna hear oh. any, any underlays or arebas. <laughs> I've looked at the YouTube analytics. There's no uh, one from <laughs> any Spanish-relating, uh, Spanish-sounding countries listening, so we're fine. Okay. Um, nachos. I feel like that's got to be an American thing. You are correct. It was invented by a Mexican, but in America. And apparently the man who invented them was known as 
Ignacio, which is where the name Nacho comes from. So it's kind of like his own nickname, which was given to the dish. So it is America. Uh, what a Nacho. Yeah, what a Nacho. Um, uh, <laughs> number nine, French fries. Pommes frites. Pommes frites. Yeah. Pommes frites. I think you know mm. this one. Do I? I think so. Uh, Pom Brie. I'm just French trying to fry. think. Just trying to think. Mm. What was invented first? I'm going to say. I hate this bit. Uh, I'm going to say America again. America again uh, is incorrect. It's yeah. actually Belgium. Is it? Yeah, the sort of earliest forms uh, were fried strings of potato, and the Belgians mm. used to eat them during the winter months when fish were hard to catch due to the cold weather. Right. And there you go. So French fries are from Belgium. You can go to, to Belgium and, you know, find mole frites and stuff quite regularly yeah. out there. That's what so, I was thinking, yeah. Yeah. Mole frites and steak frites. Yeah, but- yeah. So close, cl- close, close to home, close to its sort mm. of given um, yeah. place of well, origin. French-speaking nation. Exactly, yeah. Uh, finally, number 10, spaghetti and meatballs. Um, Another dish classically thought to be Italian. Yeah, that's got to be American. It's classically it? thought to be Italian. It's got to be American, that. You are correct. Spaghetti meatballs yeah. was invented by Italian migrants in North America, where the dish became popular and spread to be served up in restaurants all over the world. So what did you get there? Four. Mm. Four out of ten. I think that's your that's your weakest showing thus far, Chief. But that was a tricky set of questions. I, I, that was very difficult. I, I will not lie. I will not lie. But yeah. that, that wraps us up for this week, does it not? Uh, I think so. Let me just check my notes. That's it. That is actually it, yeah. That is actually it. So, um, I don't know if you want to let our faithful, loyal, lovely listeners into a bit of info on what's to come in the next couple of weeks. We've got two more releases after this one goes out, and then that's us. Maybe three. Maybe three, but that's two or three episodes we haven't decided yet, and then that's a wrap for the first season because you and I will be back to work. We'll be up to our nuts in, you know, pots and pans again. Mm. Uh, who have we got coming on? So we've got Asma Khan uh, coming on at some point. Um, that's going to be a dedicated episode to just her. It's going to be a special So you don't want to get any challenge chief bullshit. I'm not uh, going to ask her where spaghetti meatballs come from because <laughs> she probably she probably won't give much of a shit, I would imagine. I don't think she cares. No. She might do. Um, Charlotte Vincent's coming on from the Five Bells. Yeah, very excited in, about that, actually. Uh, I can't remember where it is. A couple of weeks' time. Clist St. Honiton. Oh, it's in Clist Clis Hyden. Clist Hyden. Yeah. Ed, edit that bitch bollocks out. Doesn't sound very professional, does it? You don't know where your guests are coming from. No. Uh, and uh, possibly Jason Mead. Jason might join us. Hopefully. Hopefully. And that maybe we can get some menu ideas from him. <laughs> be nice as a payback yeah, share the good. love Jason cheers Jason share uh, if you enjoyed this week's episode don't forget to give it a little like down there and subscribe if you're not 73% of our viewers aren't subscribed on YouTube that's a oh. disgrace isn't it hey as long as they're listening at the end of the day we do appreciate no we need them I want oh. like a <laughs> silver a silver play button somewhere around here at some point. So if you could uh, hit that subscribe button, it's free. We won't ask you for money yet. Uh, uh, and the no- notification bell so you never miss an episode. Um, Ed will cut that out for Spotify, so it doesn't matter. Oh, brilliant. That's it. That's Thanks it. for listening. You are shameless, uh, Chief. Absolutely. I, I know you I'm, don't. I'm not asking for £10 notes. No, I know. I'm just asking him to do a little... A little click. Takes two yeah. seconds. But anyway, yeah. we, we do generally appreciate anyone who's listening and is interacting with us on Instagram and uh, other various forms of the social media. Mm. It's greatly appreciated. Um, we have a lot of fun doing this. And the more you guys get involved, the more fun we'll have. And um, yeah, 
That's basically it. Yeah. Just thanks very help much. Help us get a silver help him. play button. Help him get there. a silver play button. Prep Kitchen Podcast. I don't you'll want see one. it and want one. You'll see it and you'll want one. Help us get... That's that's what I'm going to call this episode. What's that? The quest for a silver play button. Uh, that should bump up the views a little bit. No, that, yeah, that'll really work, won't it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, sound logic there, Chief. Right, mate. Well, thank you. Have yourself a good week and I'll see you in a couple of days' time where we talk to the one and only Asma Khan. Asma Khan, yeah. yeah. Uh, if you and whatever you do, out. don't ask her to fucking subscribe, okay? Don't, don't do that. I've emailed her already. No, I thought you had asked. Yeah. 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 Spot on. That's it. Another one done. Cheers, um, Chief. No worries, mate. You uh, look I've after yourself. just got a French ditty ringing in my ears now as we, uh, as we, as we uh, close the episode. That's it. I'll That's see it. you next week. Yeah. Take care, mate. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>